you're able, I'd invite you to stand with me as we hear the word of the Lord read together. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, what a, an incredible passage. A uh, passage that celebrates uh, the surety we have in you. Uh, we pray, Lord, as we study your word today, uh, that our hearts be quick to attend to it. Uh, we'd be quick to listen. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would um, work in our hearts uh, through your word, through your spirit, Lord, that we would be comforted and encouraged, we'd be convicted. Uh, Lord, and we pray that we find our hope in you. And you pray. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, we are continuing in our study of the book of Ephesians, and we are looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, which I just read for us. And, and last week, uh, we began our study of this book uh, by looking at the first two verses of this chapter. And, and in those first two verses, we learned a couple important details. Uh, we learned that the Apostle Paul is the author of this letter. And we learn that this letter was written uh, to the church that Paul helped found in the city of Ephesus uh, that we read about in the 19th chapter of the book of Acts. And as you read Acts 19, uh, you develop an understanding of kind of the religious environment, the religious culture in Ephesus. And, and what you see is that Ephesus was a spiritually dark and a spiritually troubled place. And so Paul's ministry in Ephesus, as you read through Acts 19, uh, what you see is that Paul's ministry in Ephesus is, is largely characterized uh, by kind of displays of God's power through Paul, as well as conflict with evil spirits. Uh, you see the practice of dark magic. You see state-sponsored idolatry. And, and eventually, uh, those who relied on idol worship for their living, uh, they lead a riot against Paul, which we'll hear about next week. Uh, and so the gospel... Uh, as the gospel came into the city of Ephesus, the gospel brought light and it brought spiritual freedom uh, to the people of Ephesus who had been living in a deep and troubled spiritual darkness. Acts 19 even records a moment, which Dave mentioned earlier, which I did not know that was going to happen. So um, it records a moment when a number of the new Christians uh, in Ephesus, they gather together, they confess their old practices of, of practicing this dark magic uh, we're told they burned 50,000 silver pieces worth of books. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to do about that. All right. <laughs> uh, that is my son, so it's just that. At least it's my son. Um, and so they burned these books together. Um, and so the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, proclaimed by Paul and proclaimed by his associates, it brought light into a spiritually dark place. 
Um, it brought light to a church, and a, a church was planted there. A church was planted in Ephesus, but even though this church was planted, even though the light has, was, had shown up and been, the gospel was proclaimed, uh, this was still a very dark city. And so in the book of Ephesians, and in our passage today, uh, Paul writes in his absence uh, to provide the church in Ephesus something sure to hold on to, um, kind of amidst their dark and amidst their troubled culture. Uh, in their very recent you know, pre-gospel past, they had spent their entire lives uh, serving false gods who were incredibly demanding, who were incredibly fickle. And in that tra- practice, to, to keep your good standing with these false gods, you were forced to rely on luck, first of all, and then to also regularly participate in a number of religious practices. And even then, you weren't really guaranteed to have their favor. And so here at the beginning of Ephesians, Paul writes... Uh, to these young Christians surrounded by kind of these old familiar practices from their not so recent past, uh, some familiar practices, they're surrounded by idols, they're surrounded by uh, just the darkness of the broader Ephesian culture. And Paul begins his letter by telling them that the blessings of salvation in Jesus Christ about which they have heard and they have believed, these blessings are secured forever for them in the Trinity. And in verses 3 through 14... Paul celebrates the saving work of the Trinity from celebrating God the Father in our passage this morning to celebrating the work of the Son and the Spirit, uh, which we will look at over the next few weeks. And and the church in Ephesus needed this reminder, and we need this reminder, uh, because there are always circumstances, there's always events uh, that can cause us to question even the most secure things in our lives. And we find, ourselves, we find ourselves needing regular reminders of that the truth that we have placed our faith in is secure. Um, you know, there's all kinds of events, there's all kinds of moments, circumstances that cause us to question even the most sure things in our lives. And so we find ourselves really needing uh, these little check-ins, these little reminders. Um, you know, one spring, uh, when my family was still living in Alabama, uh, my dad and I were, we were working on the outside of my house. Uh, we were working on the dormers. Uh, I don't know if you know, code change or what, but when they built the dormers, the wood went right down to the roof, so the wood was just soaking up the water and it was rotted. And so my dad and I were going to go up on the roof. We were going to uh, repaint, replace rotted boards, that kind of thing. And well, uh, the roof was fairly steep. Uh, the house was two stories, and so uh, my dad's plan to keep us safe, keep us safe, <laughs> uh, uh, while we did the work, was to lay down half of an extension ladder. Um, on the roof, and then tie a rope to the top of that extension ladder, and then we're going to throw the rope, uh, the, the rope over the roof, and we're going to tie it to a big cedar tree in the backyard. And I decided that we would go with this. My dad's idea seemed like it was worth trying because it's the only only idea we had. He also offered to tie it to a vehicle, and I thought cedar tree sounds better than vehicle, so we stuck with cedar tree. And so I bought 100 feet of good rope. I uh, tied that rope. Uh, to the cedar tree, and then I climbed up on the roof, and I tied it the other end of the rope to that ladder, and he and I were able to work in relative safety that week. Um, I was very impressed with my dad's plan. Um, it worked great, but even though I knew, even though I knew that the cedar tree wasn't going to move, and that I had bought a good rope, um, and that I had tied a secure knot, uh, you can bet that I still made quite a few trips throughout the day to that tree uh, <laughs> to make sure that it was still secure. Um, I would go back. I just wanted to make sure for myself uh, that this knot was still tied. And the Bryant family, uh, we say if you can't tie a knot, tie a lot. 
Uh, you've probably heard that before. And so, uh, based on our knot tying skills, there are lots of frequent checks to that tree. I wanted to make sure before I entrusted my way to that ladder that it was still secure. Well, in today's passage, Paul has taken the Ephesian church back to the cedar tree um, as he reminds them of the truths that they have entrusted their eternal lives on. Um, in our passage this morning, Paul writes to these young Christians who are still surrounded by all of the spiritual darkness, all the trouble and the chaos they had, they had been called out of. It was all still there surrounding them. And so Paul tells them that in spite of the darkness surrounding them, the blessings of salvation in Jesus Christ, about which they had heard and about which they had believed, um, those have been secured forever for them. And as we see spiritual darkness, as we see pluralism, uh, religious pluralism, we see hostility towards God's people spread in our own culture and cultures around the world, you know, it's tempting to be discouraged. It's tempting to feel anxious. It's tempting to uh, respond with a flurry of fearful activity. You know, as we feel and as we see spiritual darkness of the culture around us, it's tempting to seek out substitute certainties. Yes, as things that once seemed certain begin to shift on us, uh, we need this reminder from Paul as well. We need to go back and check the rope. And so and since we know uh, there will be seasons, that there could be days, that there will be moments uh, when we will find ourselves needing to be reminded that we have entrusted our lives to a truth that is eternally secure, uh, we need to pay close attention to Paul's words today. So this morning, uh, we're going to walk through this passage together, and we're going to explore uh, the blessings that are ours um, in Jesus Christ. And so as we begin, uh, we're going to look at verse 3. In verse 3, Paul pronounces a blessing, and I'm going to read that for us. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so Paul begins his letter uh, by calling us to praise God. And he does this by using words that, that would have been familiar to the Jews of Paul's day, as, as the phrase, blessed be God, was a common way to begin a prayer. Uh, but Paul goes on, uh, not only to say, blessed be God, but he goes on to call God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in doing this, um, he sets this prayer apart as distinctly Christian. And, and like, a, like a psalm uh, that calls us to praise God and then begins listing all the many reasons that God deserves our praise, uh, Paul calls us to bless God, and then he begins listing the reasons why God deserves our praise. Uh, he begins by saying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ... Uh, bless the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, because he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And what, a, what an incredible sentence. God, God is to be blessed because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul tells us that God did not hold back. You know, he doesn't pick a few blessings out of the bag, you know, as each believer comes through. Uh, he dumps the bag over. He shakes it out. Uh, we know from Scripture, and we know from our own experiences that, that our lives, our lives on earth are very much filled with a mixture of both moments um, and seasons, right? We have seasons of blessing. We have moments of blessing. Uh, we have seasons and moments of suffering. Paul is telling us that this will not be the case in heaven. Uh, it's, it's like Paul is in a dark room, and he's pulling back a curtain to reveal a dazzling light. Uh, when Paul says in the heavenly places, he's telling us, the location of these blessings. And that, that doesn't mean uh, that there aren't any earthly blessings that we experience as Christians, but that isn't the focus here. In, in verse 3, Paul tells us that if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, if we have 
been united to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance, every spiritual blessing is ours in Jesus Christ. And um, listen to how Daryl Bach, he's one of the commentators in this passage, listen uh, to how he explains this verse. He says, we have received all heaven has to offer in salvation, a blessing rooted in eternity past, participated in now, and connected with an eternal future. And I'm going to read another one. This is Ian Hamilton. He says, nothing has been withheld from us that could bring us blessing. This is just another way of telling us that Jesus himself is the great salvation that is ours through faith alone in him. Jesus is the one who has won for all believers the spiritual blessings God had destined for them. And, and as we are reminded of the truth that in Jesus Christ we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heaven, uh, Paul calls us to respond with praise, um, blessing the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, in this first verse, in verse 3, he, one, tells us to respond in praise, to bless God, uh, but he also reminds us that we have already been blessed. We're responding to the work that God has already done and the blessings that he has poured out on us. Um, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ are ours through Jesus Christ. And so Paul begins by saying, one, that we should praise God, and two, he reminds us that we are incredibly blessed. And then he goes on in verses four and five. Uh, Paul kind of moves from proclaiming that we are the recipients of God's blessings in Jesus Christ to reminding us uh, of how these blessings have been secured. Uh, let me read verse four again for us. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And so how, how is this blessing or how has this blessing been secured for us? Uh, why, why are... Why are these heavenly blessings ours? Well, Paul tells us that God the Father chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And, and Daryl Bach explains Paul's words here. He says, uh, the journey into blessing began in eternity past and the choice made in Christ for us to be holy and blameless. And so this emphasis on God's choice before the world existed, uh, much less before these individuals existed, it points to God's grace. It points to his initiation and the redeeming of his people. You know, every aspect of our salvation is a testimony to God's grace. Um, and, uh, and Ian Hamilton gives a great uh, definition of God's grace. He says, uh, grace is God's undeserved mercy and love uh, shown to judgment-deserving sinners. And so I'll give it to you one more time. He says, God's, uh, God's grace is uh, God's undeserved mercy and love shown to judgment-deserving sinners. Every bit of our salvation points to the grace of God. Paul tells us uh, that God has selected us to be his people, uh, just as he did when he chose Abraham, when he chose Moses, and Aaron, and David, when he chose Israel. And this word for choose is, is the same word um, that's used in the Greek version of the Old Testament. It's the same word that's used in the New Testament uh, when Jesus calls his disciples in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Paul tells us that God chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And so what, what does that mean? Well, uh, Clinton Arnold, uh, he does an excellent job of explaining what Paul has in mind here. He says, although Paul envisions a process of renewal and becoming holy, he also recognizes that based on the work of, the, of Christ on the cross, believers have already been bestowed holiness. Um, and we, he points out that Paul nine times in this letter calls the people of Ephesus saints. He calls them holy ones. 
Uh, in Colossians 1, 21 through, 20, 21 through 22, another letter of Paul, uh, Paul says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And so absolutely, the Apostle Paul calls us to the work of sanctification, of, of putting off the old man to, to a putting on of the new, and he does this in other places in Ephesians, which we'll get to. Uh, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. The focus of this entire passage is a celebration of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ is holy. Uh, he is without sin. Uh, Jesus Christ is blameless. He is free from the guilt and shame of sin. And so Paul tells us that if we are united to Jesus Christ, then we are holy. Then we are free from the, blame, or the guilt and shame of sin. We are blameless in Christ before the Father. And then look at verse 5. It says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. In this verse, Paul tells us that in love, God predestined us for adoption to himself according to his good pleasure. Uh, depending on your translation there, it might say the purpose of his will, it might say for his good pleasure. And before we get into the meaning of the verse, I'm going to briefly explain what's going on with the words in love. Um, in the Greek, uh, verses 3 through 12 are kind of one long sentence. And translators, as they go through it, they divide it into verses for us to make it readable. And that's usually very clear where to place punctuation. Uh, well, here at the end of verse 4, we have the words, and love. And they could belong to verse 4, they could belong to verse 5, they could belong to both verses. Um, it makes perfect sense as you read through. You can go, yep, he does this in love, we do this in love, also God did this, this in love. And so most commentators agree uh, that this phrase is either intended to belong to both verses, or for several good reasons, um, they believe it belongs at the beginning of verse 5. And so this morning, uh, we're going to follow the translators of the ESV and placing it at the beginning of verse 5. And so, just a brief explanation of why the punctuation looks different and why it's halfway in verse 4. Uh, this morning, we're going to kind of follow that, what they've done with it. And so in this verse, Paul tells us um, that God predestined us for adoption to himself according to his good pleasure. He tells us he did it in love. And, and Paul, isn't, Paul isn't introducing this topic. He's not introducing this truth uh, to start you know, kind of an interesting theological conversation with the Ephesians. Uh, he's doing this to comfort them. He's doing this to comfort them with the truth that their God chose them uh, to be his people, to adopt them as his children before the foundations of the world. And again, uh, Clinton Arnold, he offers a helpful explanation. He says, uh, God not only chose us to be in Christ, but at the same time, he decided to bring us into a relationship with himself that could best be described through the metaphor of adoption. And so in Roman culture, uh, in Roman law, the idea of adoption was, was firmly established. It's, it's different from our idea of adoption. Um, often when we think of adoption, we think of um, adopting someone who you know, kind of in some ways has, doesn't have a family, um, and we bring them into ours. And in Roman culture, the way adoption was typically practiced was, uh, was when there was no male heir for a family. If there was no male heir in a family... Uh, they would adopt a child from an, another family to become that heir. And so this adopted child received kind of all of the legal rights of the natural-born child in that family. Um, they received the name. They received the status of this new family. Um, they, see, they, received, they were also released from the control of the natural family. Um, they no longer belong to that family. They, no, they now belong to this family. 
And so this is the metaphor that Paul uses uh, to explain the change in our relationship and in our status before God when we come to Jesus in faith and repentance. You know, before we are adopted as God's children, uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 uh, that we were sons of disobedience, uh, that we were children of wrath like the rest of humanity. You know, we, we belonged to a family where inclusion meant our destruction, our death. And in Romans 5, Paul tells us that we were enemies of God. But here in Ephesians 1, verse 5, Paul tells us, and he tells this group of Christians, these men and women, uh, these children, these slaves, he tells them that they are now adopted into God's family and that they possess all of the secured belongings of his son. And Paul tells us that God did all this according to his good pleasure because he loved us. You know, what an incredible start to this book. Um, it, it pleased God to adopt those who were formerly sons of disobedience, who were children of wrath, into the secured blessings of belonging to his family through Jesus Christ. And again, I want to quote Clinton Arnold. There's a lot of quotes today. I'm sorry. It was a good chapter, so you're hearing a lot of it. Uh, I want to quote uh, Clinton Arnold here. Um, he explains kind of the significance of these powerful truths. He says, uh, Their fate does not rest with capricious and hostile spirit powers populating the heavenly realms. Their fate in eternity rests in the hands of the one true God who has chosen them to be in a relationship with him. Their future is secure and blessed because of their election in Christ and their present dynamic relationship to him. And so that's, that's the idea that Paul is communicating to the Ephesians. That's what he's communicating to us. Uh, the spiritual blessings that we possess in Jesus Christ were secured for us before the world was made by the choice of our God who loved us before the world was made and who loves us right now. In verse 3, Paul began by proclaiming that God should be praised uh, because he has blessed us. And in verses 4 and 5, Paul elaborates on this blessing um, that has been secured for those who are in Christ. And then in verse 6, Paul looks at kind of the, the results of these secured blessings. So I'm going to read verse 6 again for us. It says, To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You know, the result... The result of God's loving choice that results in our salvation and our adoption to his family is that the grace of God is praised. You know, God's grace is on display in verses 3 through 5 of this chapter, and the picture painted for us, uh, for us by Paul is glorious. You know, in, in, the, in this passage, Paul points us to and celebrates a grace that we have only experienced and we can only know in the beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul points out the fact that salvation begins with grace and is carried through with grace and is all secured through the work of Jesus Christ for us. And so Paul begins this passage with a call to praise. And he concludes this passage basically by just kind of erupting into praise as he considers all of the spiritual blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ. And so in our passage this morning, Paul writes to these young Christians who are surrounded, uh, still surrounded, uh, by this spiritual darkness of their city, the spiritual darkness of a culture that's worshiping idols and going after idols. And Paul tells them that in spite of that darkness, in spite of the trouble around them, in spite of things seeming uncertain, uh, the blessings of salvation in Jesus Christ, about which they heard and that they believed in, are secured forever for them in the Trinity. And so in today's passage, Paul reminds them of the truths that they have entrusted their eternal lives to. And he reminds them of these truths. He walks through the uh, beginning of their salvation, beginning with God and the grace that he has shown them. And he assures them and he assures us today 
um, that those who have entrusted themselves to Jesus Christ are secure, um, even when surrounded by darkness, even when surrounded by trouble. And as we close this morning, I'm going to read one last quote uh, that I think really captures this passage. Uh, This is from Ian Hamilton. Uh, He says, As Paul begins his letter to God's little flock in the great city of Ephesus, he clearly wants to encourage them to grasp something of the width and length and depth and height of God's love to them in Christ. Paul understands that this, more than anything else, will help them to stand faithfully for Christ, no matter how sore the opposition and persecution. The application to us should be obvious. If we are to live courageously for our Savior in an increasingly anti-Christian world, we must sink our hearts and minds into the unsearchable riches of Christ. So as we go out this morning, uh, may we sink our hearts and our minds into the unsearchable riches of Christ that Paul has laid out for us this morning. Let me pray.